All right, so we are in 1 Peter, and uh, we're actually starting a new sermon series today. You see it on the front of your bulletin. You'll see it uh, on, your, on your sermon notes. Uh, it's a sermon series called Strangers and Exiles. It has a little bit of a sci-fi, X-Files feel to the, the logos and stuff on there. But it's, it's, a, it's Strangers and Exiles, and it's, it's living um, in, in a land that's not our home, living in a, in a world that's not our home. And so, so we're going to take the next, I think, 13, 14-ish weeks, we're going to figure that out, we'll have an end date, but we're going to take quite a, quite a bit of time and go through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, and he's talking to the exiles, talking to those who are living in dispersion, and, and uh, we'll see more about that as we come. But, but today, today we're going to take a look at this and see what does it mean to be God's chosen, called out people, because that's who are strangers and exiles. And, and it's, I think it's very timely, and, and I, I think that um, as you look around this nation, as you look around our world, um, it's an interesting time we live in, isn't it? Politically, it's, it's an interesting time we live in. Socially, it's an interesting time that we live in. Morally, it is an interesting time we live in. And I use the word interesting, interestingly, uh, kind of at loosely, right? Because it's more than interesting. It's a little bit frightening morally. It's a bit frightening socially. It's a bit frightening politically. And that's not just here in America. That's worldwide. Although the church in America has, has kind of enjoyed some kind of like just ease about it for, for decades and decades, uh, really since the founding of this country. It was, it was founded on Judeo-Christian principles, right? And we wanted to, to be that kind of people. But understand that when we live in a culture that doesn't love God, it's not going to continue down that way. And, and it, we, we shouldn't expect it to. We shouldn't expect our country or any country that is mostly worldly, mostly people who are unredeemed, who have not been drawn into a relationship with Jesus Christ and aren't living for his glory in a holy way, we shouldn't expect our country to be that. What God expects is for you and I to be the called out ones, the chosen people for his own possession and to live in a way that is obedient to him. So this series, today we're going to talk about what it means to be called out, but this series is going to really help us answer the question, what does it mean to live as exiles and strangers in this land, this world that's not our home. I really, I don't know about you, Hoyt preached uh, several weeks ago, maybe months ago, uh, on Philippians, because that's what he preaches on, right? Um, although he's going to preach one of these sermons too. Uh, but he preached on, on Philippians, and he talked about just the, the notion that, that sometimes it just feels weird living in this world and, and being a part. But what we have to understand, and this brought so much freedom, this, this was a, the topic of conversation at our community group afterwards, and it, ever, ever since, I've just been like, I hang on these words because I need them so badly. He said, we don't fit in. We just don't fit in. And it brought so much peace knowing that I don't have to fit in. I, I'm called to be God, a people of God's own possession. I'm called to live righteously and live holy and, and to be his. But I don't have to fit in with the culture and the world around me. And in America, as America has kind of gone astray and gone their own way because they are of the world, you see this wider gap between God's people, what they look like, and what the world looks like. You see that happening. And there's a frustration that comes. There's like, why can't somebody have common sense? Why, this is what's right. And, and it, really nothing's right anymore. Nothing's, uh, everything's up for, up for debate. And I'm okay to say, you know what, I don't fit in. So as soon as I hear a news story or I'm, I, I, I make a mistake and go watch the news, and, I, and headlines start riling me up, I just like, wait, you know what, I just don't fit in. I just don't fit in. It doesn't mean I don't stand for something. Quite the opposite, right? I do stand for something. And by standing for something, I don't fit in. And today as we look at the, being the called out ones, we're going to see that it is important for us to take that stand. 
it is important for us not to just disappear into the darkness, but to stand in the light that we are called out into by Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at this series that's going to hopefully deepen our faith and deepen our allegiance to Christ and to his people, but we're going to figure out what does it mean to live as exiles and strangers, to to live in a way that says this world is not our home. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I've got a couple short passages in 1 Peter and and, uh, 1 and 2 I want to read to set ourselves up for the rest of the text today. So let's pray. Father, as we come together and gather here today, we are thankful that we gather by the grace of God. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, that we are God's chosen people, a people that you've gathered for your own possession and called out to live righteous and holy, proclaiming your mercy and your excellencies to the world. So God, I I pray you help us to do that. And God, as we look to the, the word today, I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to be receptive, that we would see exactly what you want us to see, that we would understand what it means to be called out and identified as followers of Christ, God's people. Convict us through your word. Move us to a place of repentant faith that we might, might be conformed more into the image of the Son, Jesus. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. So we're in First Peter in chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 and 2. And then we'll jump down to chapter 2 and look at verses 9 and 10. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And go over to chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. So today we're, we're going to set ourselves up with that. I want to just kind of briefly go over that. This will be the, um, the, the introduction to the first two verses. Um, and, and we're going to go, then hit some Old Testament things, looking at what does it mean to be God's called out ones from the beginning of time until now, and how does that apply to us? So as, as we look at this, 1 Peter uh, 1, 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Christ. He is Peter, the apostle of Christ. He says, to the chosen, these are the called out ones, to the called out ones, the ones that God has called to be his own living as exiles dispersed abroad. Now, this is, this is a time when, when uh, Jewish people were exiled. They were, they were scattered all about. There was no home base anymore. And, and you're seeing this, this happen all over the world. We, we develop little home bases, little churches, but really there's no place that we can live as Christ followers where we're all together in one spot. And see, that's the kingdom to come. So he's writing to those chosen, those people who have believed in Christ who are scattered about. They're living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontius and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. But they're chosen, he goes on, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So God knew ahead of time. God knew who was going to be his. And, and how were they chosen? Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. 
So God's Spirit did something. And think about our own salvation. When God's Spirit did something and stirred something in our hearts and drew us to Him. And then it says, we were sanctified by His Spirit to what? To be obedient. Well, what is the work of God? What is the obedience that we were supposed to be obedient to? Is to believe. So we were obedient by the power of the Spirit. We were obedient to believe and express faith in what? In Christ, right? And they sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, listen, it's all about Jesus. It's all about those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit, and they are God's chosen, called out ones. And I, I, I love how he goes on, that last little piece of that tagline in, in chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 2. It says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I, I usually end my emails with grace and peace, because it's so important for us to understand that when we are in Christ, when we are God's chosen people, we have grace and peace, and we should enjoy grace and peace. Because we have grace, right, we've got something we don't deserve through faith in Christ, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So grace and peace should be what we have in our lives and what we hold dear. And then he goes into to chapter 2, he talks a lot about that, and we're going to go through this more in depth in the weeks to come. But this is kind of our, our theme passage if it was uh, shown in like two verses, 9 and 10 of chapter 2. It says, but you are a chosen race. Now wait, we start with race now. Here we go, the racism card, right? No, this is not about that. We are not talking about black and white race. We're not talking about like we're this pure, perfect people. We are talking about people from every tribe and every tongue, right? Red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's the chosen ones. The chosen race are not based on color of skin, but are, are the people that are from every tribe and every tongue who have been called out to be God's people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And then it's not just like, let me make a club. He goes on, he says, so that. I love the so that's in scripture, right? So it's not just that, okay, oh, we're separated out, we're just a little club, we're the clique. It says, what do we do? So that we might proclaim God's chosen people from every tribe and every tongue would proclaim in every tribe, in every tongue, the excellencies or the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You were once not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It says you were once not a people, and I, I want us to think about this in, in the idea of foreigners or exiles or strangers. Every single person is a stranger or exile to something. For you and I, before we came to know Christ, we were not a people. We were foreigners to the nation of Israel. We were foreigners to the kingdom of God. We were strangers and exiles. We were aliens. We were not of God's kingdom. But once we became Christians, once we became Christ followers, once we came to faith, God made us a people for his own possession, and now we are no longer foreigners of God's kingdom, but heirs, according to the promise. We are adopted sons and daughters. We are part of the family of God. But as the family of God, now we are strangers and exiles, where? To the world. Now we are strangers and exiles to the world. We are foreigners of the world. That is not our home. So we are always a foreigner somewhere. Hopefully you're a foreigner of the world and not a foreigner of God's kingdom. So today we're going to look at what it means to be called out. And, and I know it's going to be a, 
a bit of a teaser. There's going to be a lot of scripture today, but um, it's a bit of a teaser because the, the, the tagline is, how do we live in a world that's not our own, not our home, right? And we're going to see a little bit of that play out, but today we're going to really specifically focus on what does it mean to be called out? What does it look like to be called out? So number one, called out. We're called out of our land and our culture. We're called out of our land and our culture. If you turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter uh, 12. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. This is the calling of Abram, and, uh, or Abraham later he'll be named. And, and you'll see a little bit, if you look at more in context, you can read more of chapter 11 and more of chapter 12, you'll see the fullness of this. But Abraham came from, or Abram came from the land of Ur, uh, he came from a, a wealthy place, a position, and, and a community, and, and he had things going for him. And, but they were pagans, worshiping pagan gods, and, and idols were everywhere. That's what was happening there. But God, right? But God called him out. He's choosing for a people for his own possession. So in verses 1 through 3 of Genesis 12, here's what it says. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, from your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he says, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house. And there's this exchange that happens that when we're called out, we're called out of those old ways. We're called out of those old connections. Now, this does not always mean that you, when you're called into God's family, you leave your, and forsake your whole family and, and leave. Oftentimes, and Jesus says, the gospel divides and separates and will cause division. And that will happen. I mean, divorce has happened because of the gospel. Disowning has happened because of the gospel. Losing an inheritance has happened because of the gospel. Those things happen. You're called out of something to something else. There's an exchange that takes place. It doesn't mean that you forsake your family, but it means that Christ comes first, that your allegiance to God and his covenant love as a people for his own possession is first. That's the jersey you now wear. And when God calls you to something, if your family calls you to something different, you disobey your family and you go with God because you're called out of that land and that culture. You're called out from your relatives, from your father's house. But what's great is you're exchanging that you're exchanging your land, your relatives, your father's house. What are you exchanging it for? A brand new family. Uh, being a people of God's own possession. So we have a new family that we are now embraced by and, and embracing. That's the truth of that. That's the importance behind that. But we're leaving our land and our culture. We are called out of the world. Out of its influences. How many of us really obey that though? And, and again, in America, it's been so close for so many years. Christianity and, and just American culture have kind of been together, right, in the, in the, in, through the 1900s. And, and then by the, by the 60s, 70s, 80s, we started like seeing this, oh, we're going to diverge a little bit. We're going to do our own thing. And, and now it's just like gone, way different, right? America is not a Christian nation at all. There are Christians in this nation, but America is not a Christian nation. And, and they're just they're worldly because they're not believing God. But do we, do we look like, as, as God's called out ones, do we look like we have abandoned our culture and its ways in order to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven? And when I say abandoned, I don't mean we're going to give up on them, but we're just not going to look like them. Jesus said this in John 15. 
18 through 19, he says, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. So what can be the test for you and I as called out ones? Does the world hate me? Or does the world love me? And see, if the world loves you, you may not be standing for the kingdom of God. You may not be living in a way that says, Jesus is my Lord. He's now my family. God's people are my family. You may be living in a way that makes everyone in the world feel totally comfortable with what they're doing. Now, this is different. Obviously, we want people to have relationship with us and want people to, to love us. I, I mean, I'm one of those guys, like, I like to be loved, I like to be liked, but not at the expense of giving up or forsaking God's word or God's truth. I would rather say the hard things as a member of God's kingdom than to abandon God's kingdom in order to be liked by the masses. How, how are you doing with that? How's, how's you, what does your life look like? Do you, do you still look like the world. I want us to think about this as far as it goes with even church attendance. As, as the, the, the split has happened in our country, as the division has happened, as, as the road has split and gotten further apart between what Christianity looks like and what the world looks like, what we've seen is people who really just came to be a part of the clique have kind of disappeared because they weren't really part of the family of God. But there is such an importance because when we walk out these doors, we are still to live in the world but not be of the world. And that is very difficult to do when the majority of the world is screaming something different. So this, what happens on Sunday mornings or what happens on Sunday nights or Monday afternoons, the small groups, the community groups, the time when we can gather together, those are so important. More important now than they have ever been. And and I would, I would encourage you, and maybe I'm, I'm obviously I'm preaching to the choir here, but if you're listening online, I would encourage you that if you're, if you're not being a part of the, of the fellowship and gathering of believers, of community with other believers, you are missing something. And you're likely moving more to the place of the world and embracing the world than you are embracing the kingdom of God. I'd ask you just to ask yourself, what does your life look like? Are you loved by the world or are you hated by the world? If you're not loved by the world, God says, I've chosen you out of it, and the world will hate you. He even prayed in his high priestly prayer. Turn with me to John chapter 17. We're going to be flipping back and forth a lot here. John chapter 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we're in the New Testament. Fourth book in. John 17 is his high priestly prayer. This is before he's crucified, and this is between the Garden of Gethsemane and, and the Lord's Supper, and he's praying here, and he, I'm looking at verses 14 through 19, and, and here's what Jesus prays. He says, I've, I've given them your word. He's praying to the Father. I've given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying. Here's what Jesus says. I am not praying that you take them out of the world. Man, I, sometimes I, as a father, I pray. I, I, I don't want my kids in the world. Like God, I just want to. I want to hold them and put them in a bubble and love them so they don't, they don't experience any of the hurt 
or the disappointment or the sin that's in the world, right? I, I, part of me wants that selfishly for my kids. Jesus prays, he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He says, as you sent me, Father, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. It's so important to understand that we are, even as exiles, we are living as strangers and exiles in a world that's not our home. We have not been taken out of this world. We are still here to live in it, but not be of this world. And Jesus prays that we would be set apart by His truth, His word, to not be of this world, but to, but to be sent into it. So we are missionaries. We aren't here to live comfortably and live easy and to be like everyone else. We are on a mission sent by God, sent, sent by God into the world to reveal who He is to them. So the called out ones are, we're called out of our land and out of our culture, but we're called back into the world to shine for Him. Number two, we're called out as a remnant. We're called out as a remnant. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. Back to the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7. It's a good thing you have your sermon notes there. You can follow along with where we're skipping and going, right? We're in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. And we're going to read verses 6 through 9 here. What does it mean then to be called out as the remnant? Here's very much what it means. It means that we will more often than not be the minority. We will more often than not be the minority. There will be few of us, not tons, a few. And a few who will stand and stand against what the many are doing. Because we stand sanctified by God for His purposes to live in this world. So we are called out as the remnant. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 6-9. It says, You are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be His own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord has set His heart on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors, He brought you out with a strong hand and He redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps His gracious covenant of loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love and keep His commands. This should not be news to us that we are the minority but we are a minority who is who is under the covenant love of God he says that you are a people a small group of people but you are even the fewest of all he says but the Lord loves you and keeps his oath see God is a covenant God who is covenantly loving his people towards himself and those people are those who would believe the gospel and receive the son Jesus Christ and be saved but it's very few how many will do that. We see that, that Jesus even tells us that wide is the path 
that leads to destruction, and many will find it. But narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few will enter. We see that it's few. Why? Because we, we love the world. We love our sin. We love what we love. But God has said, I, I am the God who loves you, and I am pursuing you with a covenant love in order to redeem you, to buy you back, and to give you peace, to, to bring you out of slavery. Here they were talking about the slavery of the Egyptians. To bring, bring a people, I'll bring you out of that slavery. But for you and I, it's the slavery and tyranny of our own sin. He wants us to bring, bring us out of that slavery and, and keep us in his faithful covenant love. He says, know that the Lord your God is, is, is God, that he is faithful God who keeps his gracious, gracious covenant uh, loyalty for thousands of generations with those who love him and keep his commands. We are a remnant under God's covenant love and we are a remnant under the redemption of God. A few places I want to see because what happened in, in Israel's history, we see God chose a people for his own possession, right? First of all, God, God created Adam and Eve. They were his. Then they sinned against God and they were pushed out of God's presence outside of the garden. And then humanity came into existence and sin followed everywhere humanity was. But God continued to pursue his people. And, 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 and even by the time Noah came around, you see that, that Noah was called out by God to sustain the human race and, and all the animals to build an ark because there was wickedness everywhere. But he was faithful. He was a remnant. He was very, very small remnant. How many humans were saved on the ark? Eight of all the people of the earth, eight were found to be faithful. Eight. That's a remnant. But God continued his, his pursuit of us and his love of us and, and humanity continued to grow. And then we have the calling of Abraham and, and the blessing that he would be as a father of many nations and that out of his line, we would see Jesus come about. Then we see it later uh, in David, where David, he's reiterating, yes, out of this line, David, out of your line, there will come someone who will sit on the throne, who will be king of kings and lord of lords. He will be the Messiah. This promise has been there all the time for those who would believe. There's redemption, but it's, it's always often, it's always been a remnant. It's always been a remnant of people. Sometimes very, very few. But what does that remnant look like? And, and, and the times uh, between when okay, Israel was in captivity, then they were Israel. And then they disobeyed and they were dispersed and God sent them out and they were exiled, right? We saw that in Habakkuk. We'll see that in a little while in our sermon today. But we see that, that it, God's people actually lived in exile, not in their own country, not in their own city, not in their own land. They were in someone else's place and someone else had taken theirs. And they were somewhere else in, in a society that wasn't their own, that didn't love God, that did everything against God. They lived there in exile. But God still called them to be the remnant, and they were a remnant there. And we see this, uh, a couple instances I want to share with you. Uh, the book of Esther. You see Esther, right? And she's, she has now become queen. But there's been, uh, Haman was an evil guy. He put a, put a, a hit out on all the Jews, like, we're going to wipe these people out. And Esther's like, oh, I'm a Jew, and my people, I don't want to, you know, we can't do this. So, so she has this exchange with uh, Uncle, or, Uncle Mordecai. He says, uh, he says, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you're the king in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. But who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That's, that's one of those famous lines in the Bible. It's, it's, Perhaps you're here for such a time as this. And it was so true that God's remnant people, although small and seemingly insignificant, can still take a stand for God's covenant love and God's people. And that God uses his people and God through his people continues to sustain his people. The called out ones, 
We're called out of our land and out of our culture, but we're also called out as a remnant. We're called out as a remnant. Nehemiah knew this. We did a sermon series on Nehemiah. You can go look at that, read it, listen to it. But Nehemiah was in exile in Susa, and he's, he's there, and he just he, he gets word about Jerusalem, and, and it happened hundreds of years earlier, but he gets word about Jerusalem. It's like it's in shambles, and the people living in exile, it says the remnant in the province who survived the exile were discouraged, and, and it says they were in trouble and in disgrace. And he wept about that, and he prayed about that, and his desire was that, that he, would, he went to as God's covenant chosen people, a remnant, an exile in a strange land. He went into prayer, and he says, the great God that's awe-inspiring, who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love and keep his commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to what I'm going to say next. So he goes into this prayer, this prayer from the remnant saying, God, I, I still trust you. You're still the covenant God, no matter where I am or where our people are. We are exiles all over the place. But you are still God, although we're living as strangers and exiles, foreigners in a different land. How, how big of a remnant, though? What if you're the only one? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, like you are literally the only one who loves God and believes? Uh, hopefully not on a Sunday morning, right? But maybe in your job? Maybe, maybe it's where you work, that that, that place, I, it's like I'm the only one who has any idea about God or any love for God at all. I can see it. Maybe it's, it's a school situation or an extracurricular activity or a club you're part of. It could be in your family. It could be because you're all alone at your home. Maybe you feel like you are the only one. Take heart. God has still called us out as a remnant. Elijah understood this. This is in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to be reading this uh, tomorrow, uh, on, or actually today, later today on our, our reading. And, and, and I, I want you to think about this, this battle. Right? He has, he's a prophet. He goes, uh, he says to all the, all the people who worship Baal, you guys are, are, are wrong. God is God. Your God is not God. They have this little showdown, right, where, where they rain down fire, and it's, it's, God wins. His God wins. Everyone's scared and runs and freaks out, and, and, and the, the prophets are wiped out. Well, after this happens, right, you think that everyone will be like, yes, God's God, we want God, That's, he's the one. And, and everyone's, the people for his own possession come and like, yes, we're here with you, Elijah, let's go. But they don't. He feels all alone. And, and what we find in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says that um, Ahab had told Jezebel, who was the queen, right, and, uh, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So he said, here's, here's what just happened. Our prophets are dead. The, the real God rained down. He was, he was supreme. He won the day. And Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, I can't wait to worship your God with you because you're so, it's, he's so powerful. It's not what she said. She was angry. She sends a message to Elijah that says, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of, of one of them by this time tomorrow. She says, I'm coming for you. You are dead meat. One of God's prophets, standing for truth, standing for God as God's covenant people, as his remnant. And what happens? I'm coming for you. I'm going to kill you. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that, uh, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Ever feel so desperate? You ever feel so alone? He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life. I am no, or, uh, for I'm no better than any of my ancestors 
Then he laid down and slept under the tree. You ever feel that way? You ever feel exhausted? You ever feel like, I'm just the only one. Why continue on? Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. And he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones a jug, and a jug of water. So he ate and drank, and then he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. What journey? See, there's a journey, there's a mission for the called out ones. As God's called out ones, we may feel like the remnant. We may feel like we're all alone, but God has something for us to do. God has something for us to stand for. And we ought not go lie under a tree and wish it was done. So he got up and he ate and he drank. And then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And he entered a cave there and spent the night. And suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Right? And, he, and he replied, I've been very zealous for the, for the God or the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. Like I've, I've gone and shown them your ways and told them I've stood as this faithful remnant true to you. And, and they've just said, no, we're abandoning your covenant. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. Now, this is where the wind comes, and he, didn't, you know, he hears them in the fire and the shaking and the wind. And, and he has this moment with God where God's like, I, I'm still God. I'm still the covenant God. You're still my prophet. You're still going to stand tall. And, but then he reassures him in verse 18 of this chapter. He reassures him with something. He says, I know you feel all alone. I know you feel like you're isolated and you're the only one who believes. He says, but I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Even when you feel like you're the only one, you're not. God still has a faithful remnant. And again, going back to why it's so important, why it's so important to gather as the body of Christ. You, you, could, you could get online every single week in your home with your coffee and your pajamas and your remote control. You could get, but you could still feel very alone. You may feel at home, I, I, I can't wait. I, I want to be like God's people. I want to I love God. But as soon as the TV's off, as soon as you're back into your world with your family, as soon as you go back to work tomorrow morning, it's no longer a thing for you. That's why it's so important to know that you are not alone. Even, if, even when you are alone, you can stand because you are still not alone. And there are others who are a faithful remnant as well. God has called us out as a remnant, and even if we're all alone, we can know we're not, because God's faithful remnant is around. Number three, what else are we called out? We're called out to patiently live by faith. To patiently live by faith. Uh, turn to the book of Habakkuk. It's right after Nahum. It's a minor prophet towards the end of the uh, Old Testament. I, we've done a sermon series on this, so it's a little more fresh in my mind and my heart. I'm going to give you some overviews of some verses in this. Uh, you can follow along with me. We're going to be in verse, uh, chapter 1 to start. But I, I want us to see how called out ones are to leave their land and their culture, and, and even if they're a remnant or all alone, and Habakkuk felt that way as well. But what are we called to do? We're called to still live faithfully. 
So Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 2 and then verse 5 and go down to chapter 2. It says, how long, Lord, this is Habakkuk calling out, how, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? There's a lot going on around Habakkuk and you can go listen to that series. But God responds, he says, look at the nations in verse 5 and observe, be utterly astounded for I am doing something in your days that you would not believe when you hear about it. Now, usually when someone says that, like, I'm doing something that you aren't going to believe. It's like, oh, good, something good's coming. Not the case here. He cries out to God and says, God, there's, there's some faithful. Why is there so much violence? Why aren't you doing something? And God says, because Israel is so unfaithful, I'm going to bring in wicked nations to take them into captivity. And you're going to see that in your day. Sounds like great news. God thinks. But, but Habakkuk understands that his God is still faithful. And so he responds in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Here's what he says. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. So he's, he's saying, I'll still be faithful. I'll still stand. I'll still listen. I'll still wait for you, Lord. The Lord answered me, write down this vision clearly, clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. That's encouraging. Well, okay, God's up to something. He's going to do something. So wait for it. Then look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by faith. The righteous one will live by faith. So the called out ones, the righteous ones, God's chosen people are called out of a land and out of a culture. They're called as a remnant, as often the minority or even the individual. But where we're called to, we're called to patiently live by faith, to wait and trust in God. Then go to chapter 3 in Habakkuk there in, in 16, 16 through 18. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the, uh, the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pens and there are no birds in the stalls. That is dire, right? And I want you to get this progression. For, for those, those are the called out ones that are, that are living patiently by faith. There are going to be a lot of those that come up. Though this happens, though this happens, though I experience this, though there's despair, though there's heartache, though there's persecution, though, 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 though. What happens next? In the middle of a though, what happens? Verse 18, yet I, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Isn't that amazing? I, I love the Psalms, and we, we go through the Psalms usually in the summertime, right? And, and oftentimes it gets dreary. It's like, man, David crying again, David whining again, David distressed again, something going on in David's life. But there's always hope in the Psalms because he, he goes into this whole like, God, they're all around me, they're all crushing in me, and I'm, I'm losing my mind here. I'm, I, even though I'm, I'm tired, he says, but yet I will still trust. Yet I will still live by faith. Yet I will obey. And that's how we ought to be. As the ones called out of our land and our culture to live differently. 
as the ones who are called even as a remnant, as the minority, or even the individual, we ought to be called out, and we are called out, to live by faith. We're to live by faith. Even though everything around us is crumbling, even though everyone around us is pressing in, even though everyone around us maybe hates us, yet I will celebrate in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The righteous one will live by faith. We see this in the New Testament as well. I want to briefly look at uh, this story in Luke 2. You don't have to turn there. What we're seeing here is, is in Luke 2, um, this is when Jesus had been born, and now they're taking him up to be circumcised to the temple. And, and we'll see that these, these two people, Anna and Simeon, who are faithful, they're the faithful remnant, even in the middle of a sea of this pharisaical law and religion, there are people who are faithful to God and, and looking forward to God's redemption. So in Luke 2, it says this, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was a righteous and devout man looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So he had the right heart, the right mindset. He was sitting in, situated in, in, even in the temple amidst all kinds of craziness. He was faithful. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. What a wonderful promise, right? What a wonderful like, hope you'd hold on to. Like, I'm not going to die. And as you're getting older, like, God, when is it going to happen? Anytime, please, right? And he's, he's waiting, but he's, he's there living by faith. He's a remnant living by faith. And then guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. So he, he's passing by at some point. He's like, I, I got to go in. He enters the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus in to perform uh, to him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, this is, this is the response from you and I, that should be as well, who are, are called out ones living in exile as a remnant, but living by faith. He says, now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. He said, God, you are still faithful. You are still faithful. And it is not, has not been a waste of my time to live by faith and to be patient, to patiently wait and live by faith. And then going down a few verses, we see Anna's testimony, the same time period. Uh, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven, year, or seven years after her, uh, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, uh, and was a widow for 40, or for, sorry, for 84 years. She did not leave the temple. The, the, get this, the faithfulness there. She did not leave the temple. She was at, there, at the temple doing temple service all the time, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and speak about him to all the people who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. It's like, wow, I've seen this. Here's the Messiah. This, this is happening now. And she's, she's shouting it out, living by faith. She's faithful day in and day out for what was to come. Now, you and I have, have, have Jesus. He has come. He has made a world of difference to us. The called out ones, though, patiently live by faith, looking forward to God's redemption and ultimate restoration of the world. They look forward to that. So, so here, let me answer this last question. Why? Why do we leave our land and our culture? Why do, we, why do we do it even when we're the minority? When it's so unpopular, maybe when we're the only one. Why do we wait patiently, even by faith in God? Why? Because 
Number four, we were called out of darkness and into light. We've been called out of darkness and into light. This is the motivation. This is the hope. We were once living in darkness and in, in the penalty of our sin. And God, through Christ, has called us into a new birth, a new life, out of darkness, out of shame, out of guilt, and into His marvelous light. See, there, there's no greater calling than that. And once we've experienced this call out of darkness into light, we can be the remnant. We can leave our culture. Even if we're all alone, we can handle that. We will Live patiently by faith because he has called us out of darkness and into light. Going back to our first Peter passage. But you are a, cho- a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. It's, it's so important for you and I as the remnant, as the called out ones, to know that as we live a life patiently full of faith in God, We are being called to give praises to the one who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. In Christ, we have mercy. His grace abounds on us who would believe. He's called us to believe in Him. And then as we have believed, we have been removed from darkness and put into light. We can be the remnant He's called us to be. We can live as strangers in exiles. Ephesians 2, 12-13 said this, "At, At that time, we were Gentiles away from the faith. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. Remember, we were foreigners of something. I said we're either foreigners of of God and His covenant of promise or foreigners of the world. Well, before Christ, we were foreigners of the covenants of promise without hope, and we were without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, God's called out one. God's chosen people are those who have been brought near by the blood of Christ so that we might proclaim the the praises and excellencies, the mercies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And how do we do that? Well, we're called out of our culture. We're called to to leave behind our family and our land and our nation and, and, and be allegiant to Him. We're called out even to do that as a remnant when it's unpopular and when it's the smallest group ever or if you're just the only one. We are called out of darkness and into light so that we can patiently live by faith, because we have a hope in a Savior that has conquered it all for us through the blood of Christ. We were once a people who did not have mercy, but we have now received mercy, the salvation of our souls. Amen. Well, that's a start. Exiles and strangers. Let's stand and pray, to, pray together. Father, we thank you so much for for the grace that you've given us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we, as we see your word, as we know that your word is, is so relevant for us even today, in the, especially today in the midst of what we're facing as a world or as a nation or as a community, God, maybe even as a family or wherever, wherever we are, we, we face these distressing times all over. But Lord, you have given us a way to be brought out of darkness and into your marvelous light through the blood of Christ and through faith in him. So God, I pray that that if someone is here today, that they are a foreigner of God's promises, they are a foreigner of the kingdom of God, that they they would put their faith and trust and hope 
in Jesus. And as they do, God, you, you give them a righteousness that they could never have earned on their own. And God, you, you move them into be citizens of your kingdom. Move them out of the kingdom of this world. And God, as, as for us who have put our faith and trust in you, God, I pray that you would help us to, to live as strangers and exiles in a world that is not our home. That we would understand that we are called out of darkness and into your marvelous light through Christ. That we can forsake our culture. God, an unbelieving family. God, we can do it even if we're the only ones. Because you called us to wait patiently and to live by faith. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.